Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Longing, rusted, 17, daybreak, furnace, nine, benign, homecoming, one, freight car. I'll be honest, I tried to get the phonetic Russian for the code words and I butchered it so badly. I'm not even prepared to embarrass myself by trying. But anyway, yeah, gotov odvechet. That means ready to comply. I hope. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 73, Captain America Civil War. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So, welcome to the final episode of Christmas, where I have basically decided to take the festive season and dedicate it to the best possible Hollywood Chris, Chris Evans. Uh, in his most famous and celebrated role of Captain America. Uh, Thank you for being here yet again, if you're here again, or for being here for the first time, if you're here for the first time, for staying well um, and healthy. And hopefully uh, you have already listened to the previous episodes on Captain America the First Avenger and Captain America the Winter Soldier. And I hope that you're joining me yet again for Captain America Civil War, These episodes are sort of designed to be consumed as a triple bill, but you can also listen to one or two of them and not really lose out on much. Like, they're not sequential episodes or anything like that. But but basically, all of the Captain America info was in the first Avenger. All of the Falcon and Winter Soldier stuff was in the Winter Soldier. And for Civil War, well, let's just say we've got a hell of a lot to go through because this movie is stacked. It's worth saying as well that the feedback on these Captain America episodes so far has been just, well, I guess you could say it's been a star-spangled triumph. Um, People have been really positive about these episodes. So again, I just need to say like a massive thank you for listening um, and for letting me know how much you love Captain America. Because, you know, a lot of people love these movies and for excellent reason. Um, But I'm not going to kind of gabble on too much because I really need to get into Civil War because this episode is going to probably be quite big. Uh, I'm going to say that now. So yeah, I'm just going to kind of jump straight into it. United they stand, divided they fall. Uh, Here's the trailer for Captain America Civil War. Um, And hey, that kind of sort of rhymes a bit. That's weird. Anyway, here's the trailer. This job. We try to save as many people as we can. Sometimes that doesn't mean everybody. But you don't give up. New York. Washington, D.C. Sokovia. 
Okay, that's enough. Captain, people are afraid. That's why I'm here. We need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. I'm sorry, Tony. If I see a situation pointed south, I can't ignore it. Sometimes I wish I could. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I know we're not perfect. But the safest hands are still our own. Sokovia in Age of Ultron and after an international incident in Lagos where the Avengers square off against the villain Crossbones which inadvertently kills innocent civilians, world leaders and political powers move to get the Avengers to be registered to avoid further collateral damage. This results in the Avengers splitting into two factions, one led by Captain America who believes the heroes should remain free and the other led by Iron Man who, still feeling guilt over his creation of Ultron, begins supporting government regulation and oversight. When the signing of the Sokovia Accords is marred by a bomb attack which kills more innocent bystanders, including the King of Wakanda, the Winter Soldier is recognised as the assailant and Cap must try to apprehend and protect his old friend Bucky from both Tony and the schemes of a new villain who emerges with a plan that could shock the world. So let's quickly go through the immensely huge cast for this movie because this is a Captain America movie in name and occasionally tone, but generally it's an Avengers movie. Uh, it's full of Avengers. Uh, we obviously have Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. The Winter Soldier. Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Don Cheadle as Rhodey, a.k.a. War Machine. Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther. Paul Bettany as Vision. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch. Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man. Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. Tom Holland as Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow, a.k.a. Crossbones. William Hurt as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. And Daniel Bruhl as Helmut Zemo. Uh, Martin Freeman is also introduced as Everett Ross, not related to Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Marissa Tomei appears as Aunt May Parker. John Carney as King Chachaka of Wakanda. Alfred Woodard as Miriam Spencer, the mother of Charles Spencer, who's killed in Sokovia. John Slattery reappears as Howard Stark. And Stan Lee cameos as the FedEx guy who calls Tony, Tony Stank, <laughs> which never gets old. The screenplay is once again by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. It was based, obviously, on Captain America by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, and it was yet again directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. So it's hard to believe that this was the first movie of Marvel Studios Phase 3, especially when Phase 3 only actually finished last year, uh, after only 11 movies. I say only, um, these Captain America episodes have spanned the three phases. Uh, and the first two only contained six movies per phase, whereas obviously the third contained 11. So it's quite astonishing how Marvel have achieved this level of consistency and interconnection. But anyway, I need to kind of focus because Civil War is 
a bit of a genuine feat of a movie. Uh, it works as a sequel to Age of Ultron, as well as our continuation and ending of Captain America's trilogy, and obviously a precursor to events going forward, moving into Avengers Infinity War. Um, I've always seen this as like a pseudo Avengers sequel, um, and with a stacked cast consisting of most of the Avengers, it's hard to not see it like that. But I will say, after watching both the first Avenger and the Winter Soldier in kind of quick succession recently, in that context, it actually helps to make it feel a lot more like a Captain America movie, uh, which is something that I've never actually felt before because I've never actually watched these movies, these Captain America movies, so close to each other before. So in this movie, in the continuity of the MCU release schedule, it came after Age of Ultron and also Ant-Man. Um, and it's easy to forget that Phase 2 ended with Ant-Man. Um, and obviously Scott Lang does make an appearance in this movie. But Ultron really is the catalyst for a lot of these events. And it's because of that that the movie deviates quite a bit from its source material. Um, and in the first Avenger, I went into the comic book history of Steve Rogers and in The Winter Soldier, the histories of Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson. And so if you want to know more and you haven't obviously listened to those episodes, check them out for that. But this time I wanted to go into the Civil War storyline and the key differences between the comic it's based on and the movie. Because the MCU kind of plays a bit fast and loose with its comic book storyline materials because obviously everything has to make sense in the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. So The Civil War of the comics was a seven-issue limited series written by Mark Millar and with art by Steve Niven. It is based on storylines that were started in the comics, namely Avengers Disassembled, which focused on the beginning of Brian Michael Bendis' Avengers run, uh, with Tony Stark announcing he's no longer going to be Iron Man, Thor and the Asgardians being destroyed by Ragnarok, Captain America and Scarlet Witch engaging in a relationship as he feels guilt over the death of Bucky and Spider-Man becoming pregnant as a spider and giving birth to his old human self. No, I'm not making that up. It's also based on House of M, which is not my house, by the way, uh, where Scarlet Witch suffers a mental breakdown and alters the fabric of reality and replaces Earth 616 to recreate her lost children. Um, and obviously, bear in mind, this is the Scarlet Witch as the daughter of Magneto, obviously unlike who she is in the MCU. And House of M's continuation, Decimation, where nearly all mutants are stripped of their powers by the Scarlet Witch. Civil War is where the US government passes a Superhero Registration Act to regulate and enforce superpowered individuals. The comic book was released in 2006 and is still the biggest event ever published by Marvel, as it was noted to have shaken up the comic book universe. But like I say, it was never going to be a straight up adaptation from comic book to screen. The premise of Captain America being against the registration and Iron Man being for it is roughly the same in both. In the comic, it's enacted after the new warriors battle a group of villains while filming a reality TV show. One of the villains, Nitro, explodes, killing over 600 people, including most of the new warriors and some school children. This turns the public against superheroes. Their secret identities are released online, kind of a bit like nowadays when social media counsels you for something you say and civilians get more and more angry about superheroes. Iron Man instigates Congress to pass the Superhero Registration Act, but Captain America refuses to hunt superheroes in violation. He becomes a fugitive and forms a resistance, who are the secret Avengers, and it's kind of not so secret if it's in the name, but whatever. This group includes Hercules, Falcon, Danny Rand, Luke Cage, and the Young Avengers. Those in favour of registration include Iron Man, Reed Richards, Hank Pym, She-Hulk, and Spider-Man, who unmasks himself in support of the act. Doctor Strange is declared exempt, but kind of wants no part in it anyway. Captain America's secret Avengers end up fighting with Iron Man's not-so-secret Avengers. A cyborg clone of the previously deceased Thor is brought in as a weapon against the secret Avengers, who end up retreating to safety with Sue Storm. Spider-Man, upon realising the superheroes captured by the act, are being held in a concentration camp-style prison, realises he'd made a mistake siding with Iron Man and defects, but not before being severely beaten. A final battle begins, but as Captain America is to deliver the final blow to Iron Man, he realises how much damage has been caused by all of these events, and he surrenders. The President of the United States grants amnesty to all opponents of the act who turn themselves in, but some heroes choose to leave the country rather than register. Tony Stark is appointed Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Captain America is assassinated. 
So, you know, you could say there's a lot of differences. <laughs> and mainly the characterizations and fates of Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. The Iron Man in the comics becomes essentially the villain of the piece. And there was no way the MCU was going to do that to Robert Downey Jr., who's kind of been the linchpin of the franchise since 2008. I'm going to come back to Robert Downey Jr. in a bit, though. The prison in the comic is called Prison 42. And for the movie, it becomes The Raft. 42 is a prison built by Tony in the negative zone, so it's interdimensional. And at the time, Marvel didn't own the rights to the negative zone, so they couldn't obviously do that. The MCU as well, really kind of apart from Peter Parker, uh, who we'll also come to in a bit, doesn't do secret identities. So the unmasking of superheroes could never be a basis for the MCU version of the story. Rogers was adamant that superheroes should be able to retain their secret identities and there was a violation of civil liberties as well as a hero's right to a private life. A similar concept, the Mutant Registration Act, was discussed but ultimately called off in the 2000 movie X-Men, which I did an episode on, uh, as well as re-emerging in X-Men 2 after Nightcrawler's attempt on the president. Uh, Obviously, Thor was nowhere to be seen in this movie either. He is briefly mentioned, uh, but his death in Avengers Disassembled meant a clone which was also a creation of Tony Stark's, was used to obviously fight Team Cap. Uh, there's none of that in this movie. And Spider-Man's change of allegiance wouldn't have worked for the budding Spider-Man franchise's reliance on the tech of Tony Stark. The main change, though, is that there's no death of Steve Rogers, which presumably a lot of comic book fans expected. There was always going to be the end of the Captain America trilogy, but not Chris Evans' contracted appearances because he was still contracted for several more appearances after this movie. Uh, Steve does resign from the mantle. He gives up the shield. So you could argue that technically Captain America does die, in inverted commas, but while no characters die in Civil War, in a sense of major characters, I mean, obviously characters do die, but major characters, and not even Zemo dies. Rhodey does crash uh, and is thought dead before we realise he's paralysed and is given new legs by Tony at the end. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit and I feel like I'm kind of going through these quite fast. Um, But there's just so much to go through. Um, I'll come back to the movie Civil War in a bit um, because not surprisingly there's a lot to go through. This is a huge movie. It's obviously the culmination of Captain America's trilogy. It's a sequel to Age of Ultron. It's an Avengers movie pretty much in its own right and it obviously shapes so much of the franchise going forward, as well as introducing new characters who are pivotal to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as pivotal to real-world movie politics, and obviously something I've spoken about before in X-Men, rights issues, uh, which I'm going to talk about as well. Um, But before all that, let's just kind of sideline and calm down a little bit, because I feel like I'm getting quite excited and I'm talking quite fast, because I talk fast when I get excited. But I'm going to take a deep breath, and... We're going to sideline to this movie's production because we know that the writers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, return uh, from the previous movie, as well as the brothers Russo, Joe and Anthony, as directors. Um, They were rehired three months before The Winter Soldier was released, as test screenings for that movie had gone so well. And as I said in the previous episode, The Winter Soldier is one of my very favourite MCU movies for good reason. Marcus and McFeely started writing Civil War in late 2013, and the Russo brothers began working on the project in February 2014. They confirmed in an April interview that it would be a continuation of the story of Captain America the Winter Soldier. Trent Opelot, the cinematographer of Winter Soldier, also confirmed his return. It's worth noting, however, that at this early stage, they were not adapting Civil War, but their plan did include Zemo, as well as the ramifications of Winter Soldier and a continuation on the relationship between Steve and Bucky. Their plan for this movie kind of all changed when Kevin Feige mentioned Civil War to them, to which their idea became kind of amalgamated with. Rumour has it that when DC announced Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which was due to be released originally on the same date as the proposed Captain America 3, that Feige realised they needed to kind of go big or go home. Feige never admitted to Batman v Superman changing the internal plans for Captain America 3, but it is a possibility, and that's okay, like it's absolutely okay to change your mind and do something else, you know, something more political, more personal to these characters, and ultimately include more of them, Um, and this movie kind of does all of those things. The political themes related to the character of Captain America are hardly surprising when the guy was himself treated as a propaganda tool during the war. And we know Steve has very strong views on bullies 
and treating the little guys with respect. At that point, the Civil War storyline was still unknown to the world stage. Um, because, obviously, let's be honest, if you want to adapt Civil War, you need certain key players. And the biggest player was undoubtedly Robert Downey Jr. Uh, originally envisaged for a smaller part consisting of three weeks' worth of work, Downey wanted and negotiated a second billing role. He usually gets first billing on Marvel movies, but it is Captain America's movie, after all. Uh, it would have been possible to do a Civil War storyline without Tony Stark and kind of have a different character in lieu of Iron Man as the opposition to Captain America. But with no plans for a fourth Iron Man movie and his contract expiring after the third Avengers movie, Downey expressed a wish to continue to be part of the bigger MCU. And obviously Iron Man was a huge draw for viewers. Bear in mind too that these discussions were going on before Avengers Age of Ultron's release. And the plan was to have Tony Stark still reeling from the events of that movie, obviously, which culminated in him creating Ultron and feeling incredible guilt over the events in Sokovia. So it was confirmed in October 2014 that Downey had been cast. Sebastian Stan was also confirmed as returning. And it was announced that the movie was titled Captain America Civil War. That obviously gave people a good indication of what this movie would be about. Chadwick Boseman was also confirmed to be appearing as Black Panther ahead of his own solo movie. There is a reason Black Panther is in this movie before his own. Obviously to set up the character and introduce him, but most importantly to set up the death of his father, King T'Chaka, because that serves as the leading point for T'Challa to become King of Wakanda himself. But it was important for the movie to have a character with no initial allegiance and no agenda a non-biased third party, but who has his own arc and conflict uh, with believing Bucky has murdered his father, allies with Stark to bring down the Winter Soldier. T'Challa has no interpersonal connection with anyone. And actually, indeed, the writer and director of Black Panther, Ryan Coogler, contributed dialogue for T'Challa during reshoots. The following month, so this is November 2014, Sony's emails were leaked, and it was confirmed that Marvel had contacted Sony with a view to include Spider-Man in the movie in a proposed landmark agreement, which had by that point broken down. Several months later, however, in February 2015, Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios reached a licensing agreement for the use of Spider-Man in the MCU. The movie had continued to be developed in the background, while the lobbying process between studios had continued, to the point that not including Spider-Man probably would have meant changing significant parts of the movie. At the end of May 2015, they had held screen tests in Atlanta for six teenage actors against Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans for chemistry. The six actors involved were Tom Holland, Asa Butterfield, Judah Lewis, Matthew Lintz, Charlie Plummer and Charlie Rowe. And they were all between the ages of 14 to 19 as lead casting director Sarah Halley Finn, as well as the Russos and Kevin Feige, were very keen to keep the actor of a similar age to the character of Peter Parker. Unlike the previous movies who had hired 20-somethings, Tony Maguire and Andrew Garfield, to play the teenage Peter Parker. Obviously, this was not common knowledge yet, and had not been confirmed publicly that Spider-Man would be included in Civil War, um, and that was mainly due to the sensitive nature of the agreement in place. Things like contractual obligations, when you're talking about business deals, and many eggshells had to be walked on. As the plan also included a series of new Spider-Man movies, which were a co-production between Sony and Marvel. And after confirming that Tom Holland had won the role, and obviously his dance gymnastics background certainly helped. I mean, did you see him on Lip Sync Battle? He's fantastic. Director John Watts had been hired to direct what would become Spider-Man Homecoming and was on set for the filming of the Spider-Man sections for Civil War to ensure a complete continuity between Peter Parker's appearance in Civil War, such as things, you know, his bedroom and stuff, to how it would be shown in Homecoming. Despite Marvel advising the Russos to have a plan B in case the Spider-Man scenes failed to materialise, they only envisioned Civil War with Spider-Man, who is kind of more of an extended cameo, really, but his appearance does set up the character perfectly for his own movies and his extended relationship with Tony Stark. Um, and obviously this is despite the issues I mentioned back in the episode of Winter Soldier with kid sidekicks, and Marvel's reluctance to have a kid Bucky Barnes fight alongside Captain America. And as much as the Spider-Man scenes are a great intro for Tom Holland, um, because he is a great Spider-Man, you've got to ask, well, would Iron Man really endanger the life of a teenage boy by flying him to Germany for a fight where he'd likely get injured? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, 
there's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about some of the contrivances in this movie. Doesn't mean I don't think the movie is great because I really do. Um, but yeah, lo- lots of questions. Um, one person who was surprised to not be appearing was Samuel L. Jackson, who had been originally told that he would be. But in the end, the Russos felt that Nick Fury wouldn't actually bring anything to the story they were telling. As well as, I mean, how does Nick Fury pick a side? He doesn't. He's Nick Fury. I can't imagine Nick Fury picking a side. Um, Also slated to originally appear was Hope Van Dyne, who had obviously just been seen in the previous movie Ant-Man. But obviously having Scott Lang in the movie, kind of as well as Hope as the Wasp, didn't kind of seem to work and it was eventually decided just to leave her out. And obviously this movie has a huge cast. Um, And obviously this cast kind of split into teams. So let's kind of split the cast between the teams for ease. So on Team Cap, against the Sokovia Accords, we have Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, and Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. On Team Iron Man, for the Accords, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, Paul Bettany as Vision, and Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So it's six versus six. These are friends against friends. It's an interesting split as to the decisions, why these characters ultimately choose their side. And again, kind of going back to contrivances a little bit for me, because for some it feels more organic than others. Uh, Ultimately, Natasha Romanoff would betray Tony Stark and allow Stephen Bucky to escape. But arguably, Natasha kind of serves her own agenda generally anyway. But after their experiences together in Winter Soldier, it kind of pained me a little to see Natasha go up against Steve. They do have some lovely little moments together, such as at Peggy's funeral, where she just kind of says that she doesn't want him to be alone, and it's a really lovely scene. And obviously Peggy's funeral is pivotal to the unmasking of Sharon Carter as her great-niece. I don't want to talk about that awkward kiss, because it's awful. And it's always just felt such a massive misstep in this movie to have Steve kiss Sharon. Um, And I'm admittedly very Team Peggy uh, as a whole, but it just feels wrong for his character. The kiss with Natasha in the shopping centre in Winter Soldier felt more organic than this kiss. Um, And that was fake, so (laughs) I don't know what that says. But anyway, so the movie explains that the reasons behind the Accords are set off by the blast in Lagos, Nigeria, which kills innocent civilians, uh, both Nigerian and we find out later Wakandan, and the blame is put purely at the feet of Wanda. But the setup is that Brock Rumlow, aka Crossbones, has a biological weapon, and is threatened to set it off in a crowded market, essentially. That weapon could do untold damage to innocent civilians. And I feel like the Avengers, in this scenario, and in pretty much any scenario, actually, are damned if they do and damned if they don't. Because had they not stopped Crossbones, the death count would be their fault for not protecting the world. As it happens, Crossbones sets off a suicide vest, which could have also killed many innocent civilians, which obviously Wanda contains... Uh, before accidentally exploding the side of a building. The scenes in Sokovia, Washington DC and New York are also used to enforce the requirement for the Accords, despite the fact that all three times the Avengers saved more lives than ultimately could have been lost, especially in the case of Washington, which is obviously from the Winter Soldier, where I think it was two million people were targeted by Hydra. It seems to me like the Lagos bombing is more used as a scapegoat for the Sokovia Accords than the actual reason for their existence. And the scenes in Lagos were actually filmed in Atlanta at the Gulch and Atlanta Civic Centre, as well as they filmed in Fayette County, Georgia and Pinewood Atlanta Studios. Um, I'm kind of skipping a bit, but the famous airport scene was filmed on location at Leipzig Halle Airport in Germany, as well as scenes which were filmed at the Olympic Stadium, um, as well as filming taking place in Puerto Rico and Norway. Going back to why do we have the Sokovia Accords? Ultimately, to me, it's never really 100% makes sense to me. People who are ultimately trying to do the right thing and trying to stop the bad guys can be blamed. How is that even possible? How can, how can one of the Avengers be blamed for the attack on New York? We see a lot of damage and with damage to buildings does come the loss of life and I'm not by any kind of stretch of the imagination suggesting the loss of a life is not important I mean we're talking fictional lives anyway but that's kind of by the by loss of life is important but 
you've kind of got to look at it realistically in the sense of the Avengers are trying to prevent loss of life. And obviously loss of life is happening regardless because of the bad guys. If the Avengers weren't there, then the bad guys would ultimately cause a greater loss of life. Uh, So to me, the whole Sokovia Accords thing, that's kind of why I go back to it kind of feeling a little bit contrived to me because the reasons behind the Accords and the reasons why they want to essentially regulate the Avengers, I kind of get it, but I kind of don't get it. <laughs> because the, the kind of reasons that they use never kind of make much sense to me. Um, anyway, I feel like I could go on about that for a while. I'm pretty certain that people have views on this <laughs> as well as I do. Um, but um, anyway, let's go back to this movie and... Um, and how they made it yeah let's do that so um it was the first movie to use imax digital 2d cameras they are made by ari it's a customized version of the ari alexa 65 uh that was used for the airport fight and they they used technocranes steadicam dollies and drones but it was too large of an undertaking to use these cameras for the entire movie so the rest of the film was shot on ari alexa xt digital cameras and Lola VFX, you remember those from the previous episodes on Captain America the First Avenger and the Winter Soldier. And that was mainly for their work on digitally shrinking Chris Evans to pre-Severum Steve. They also worked on this movie to de-age Robert Downey Jr. And they did that by analysing footage of Downey from the film Less Than Zero, which uh, he was in his early 20s. Uh, as Downey played the younger version of his character Tony Stark. And Lola VFX's visual effects supervisor, Trent Claus, stated that the fact that it was 4,000 frames long and with Downey kind of moving his head constantly, it was a difficult scene to manipulate as they composite each frame. Uh, Lola also worked on the visuals of Vision. Really interesting thing that I found out about this movie, actually, because you would think, you would think that I would know about this. I, I didn't. This is the, literally the first time I've even heard of this. It's something called pre-visualisation. Uh, and I've never actually heard of this before, but it's really fascinating. So pre-visualisation is it sort of like digital storyboarding. Um, and it was extensive on scenes like the airport scene. They include many digital characters. And it's basically the creation of digital storyboards of set pieces and things like background and foreground events. This was done by a company called Third Floor. And the idea was to lay out the action, explore the angles, camera positions and what each character was doing. Sort of who would fight who in the big fight and the safe execution of any necessary stunts. These were then animated, and I think I might post them on social media as I'm doing the promo for this episode, because they really are fascinating, especially the comparison shots between pre-visualisation and the finished movie. Um, So I will try and remember, actually, to put those on social media. Um, Even Cap's helicopter arm workout, um, I mean, what a glorious scene that was as well. That was all pre-visualised, but the intent was to shoot it at the Paul Loeb House building in Germany, near the Bundestag, where the German parliament meets, but permission was not granted to show the location in the movie. And so the background was rendered in CG by Method Studios, with the rest done on a green screen, with a large prop helicopter on hydraulic arm. Um, All in all, nearly 20 visual effects studios worked on Civil War, including those mentioned already, as well as Industrial Light and Magic. I feel like... I feel like I mentioned Industrial Light and Magic on every episode. <laughs> that is how prevalent they are in Hollywood. They literally do everything. They are included in every movie you've ever seen in your life, Industrial Light and Magic. Also, Luma Pictures, DNEG, Image Engine, Trickster and Cinesite, as well as others too. And I'll be completely honest, I'm not even kind of halfway through my notes yet. So this episode is probably going to run a bit super long. And I kind of feel like, yeah, let's see if we can make it longer than Black Panther. Um, (laughs) That's one hour five. Let's see if we can beat Black Panther. Uh, Because I'm not even done. Uh, Because although the politics of the movie follow on from events of other previous movies, moving forward in the MCU's phase three, this kind of really changed a lot from a character point of view. And while it didn't make as much of an environmental impact as Winter Soldier did with the S.H.I.E.L.D. revelation and the subsequent destruction of S.H.I.E.L.D., These are characters who are going through highly charged emotional scenarios. Like I said, these are more than colleagues. Um, They're friends. They're fighting amongst each other. It actually draws a very real life connection to recent political events where friends 
taking opposing sides have literally drawn lines between each other refuse to see each other's point of view this movie came out six months before the 2016 u.s presidential election but it feels a hell of a lot more personal and raw to the 2020 u.s presidential election um which has obviously recently been won by joe biden um each side kind of having their own reasons why they side with that side and not many kind of being impartial or having an unbiased point of view. I'll admit, I myself chose a side in that election, despite not being American, and despite having literally no vote to cast. Even the very colour scheme in this movie, and all over the posters and promotional artwork, is red versus blue. And I mean, I don't think I need to explain the US presidential election party colours. Uh, just, it feels so very on the nose, and, and so very, I'm going to use my favourite word from B for Vendetta, which I've also done an episode on, feels very prescient uh, to current political events to have two opposing sides who are so each set with their own ways, their own agendas, to have one side blue and one side red and to have each of those sides have people who were friends, people who used to get along with each other and are now opposing each other completely. It's really fascinating to kind of think of it like that. And I don't really want to go into the politics of it too much because I am not a political podcast. I know very little about politics. I know very little about US politics. I'll be completely honest. But I just found it like a really interesting dichotomy. And it's kind of important to note that the relationship between Steve and Tony has never been one of being best buddies. Tony has always seen Steve. He heard stories about Steve Rogers from his father because obviously we know from Captain America the First Avenger Steve and Howard knew each other they worked together they were colleagues Howard Stark admired Steve Rogers he had respect for Steve Rogers and this was the guy that Tony Stark's father had worked with during the war he's heard all the stories in a way Steve is almost like the big brother that Tony resents because Steve was always Howard's favourite. Tony just kind of grew up with an absent father and struggled to kind of build a relationship with him. Steve and Tony have worked together, you know, in the Avengers, but their relationship has always been kind of leaning towards the slightly antagonistic, um, you know, in a sense that they get on with each other, but like I said, they're never going to be best friends. It's not like the relationship between Tony and Bruce who have like very shared opinions and shared goals. And so they immediately kind of are drawn towards each other. Steve and Tony aren't like that. Especially if you look to the first Avengers movie and then Avengers Age of Ultron. There's, there's something there between them. They're not enemies by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, they kind of maybe get on each other's wick a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's even framed in the trailer for this movie that you heard at the start of this episode, the line, I want to punch you in your perfect teeth, is framed differently in the trailer than it is in the movie. Because in the trailer, it actually sounds like a threat. In the movie, it's not a threat. It's just a statement of fact. Although previously, they've always been on the same side, they have learned to work together. So the point that I'm trying to make is it doesn't feel like the lines drawn between the two in Civil War come out of the blue. It's not like these guys are best buds and then all of a sudden they hate each other. You even reach a point in this movie where Stark realises he was wrong about Bucky Barnes and he wants to strike a truce. And I fully believe that the truce is broken by the revelation that Bucky murdered his parents. And this kind of, again, kind of going back to Batman v Superman, which I'll admit is a movie that I'm not the biggest fan of, um, but the Martha revelation in that movie just kind of blew me away from the point of they're really doing this the fact that their mums are both called martha and that's it made no sense but the revelation when you realize that tony realizes that bucky has murdered his mother you just see the switch flip it just goes it works um and honestly i feel like outside of infinity war and endgame we get some of robert downey jr's best work in this final fight scene in Civil War. It's truly kind of very emotionally charged. You can see just how hurt he is by this, not only by this revelation, but also the fact that Cap admits that he knew. It is a really difficult situation to be in 
when you know something about someone that could potentially hurt them. And obviously, Steve, Steve should have told Tony. He should have told him the truth. But, you know, sometimes you do do things to protect people. And ultimately, like I say, Steve doesn't hate Tony. He wanted to protect him. Um, they are sort of friends. They're just not best friends. <laughs> so, um, but I, I feel like this is some of the best work we get from Robert Downey Jr., um in the whole of the mcu and you know yeah he does some great work in iron man but the kind of real raw emotion that you see from him realizing that this is the guy who killed his mum it just works so much better than batman v superman ever could and i'm kind of giving all the praise to robert downey jr and i'm kind of it's it's uh you know this is christmas i'm supposed to be talking about chris evans but i really do feel like robert downey jr absolutely slays in this movie and that's despite the fact that throughout this whole movie i am with cap i'm fully team cap on the sokova records and that's kind of not just because it's his name above the title i genuinely think that having any sort of governing body involved with hero work means that agendas will be served above human need and steve even mentions you know the avengers aren't perfect they can't save everyone but if you have to deal with red tape and bureaucracy before you can save a boatload of hostages, for example, using the Lemurian staff from Winter Soldier, you'll never save the hostages. Bad guys don't wait for boxes to be ticked and agreements to be signed. Imagine if you wake up to find armed intruders in your home and you ring the police and they say they can't come out until several senior officers approve the visit and they approve the level of force and any weapons they might need. To me... It's always been a clear distinction between right and wrong. For this, Cap is right and Iron Man is in the wrong. I know not everyone feels that way. And I actually ran a poll on Twitter because I wanted to know, basically, are you Team Cap or are you Team Iron Man? And it turned out that 75.9% agreed with Team Cap and 24.1% with Team Iron Man. I felt like it might be a bit more 50-50, but I really do understand, kind of going back to my previous point, you ring the police because something bad is happening. You expect the police to turn up as fast as they possibly can. If you have to wait for boxes to be ticked and someone to approve, it just doesn't bear thinking about. And I kind of feel like you use that example on Captain America Civil War. And I don't know how anyone could agree that the Sokovia Accords are a good thing. Yes, the police themselves have to be managed and they have to be maintained and I agree with that you have to have some accountability for the police service but these government bodies they have their own agendas if something is going south in one country and they don't particularly like that country what's to say that they're just going to say no look we're not going to go to that country and we're not going to help them it at least with the Avengers they will always try to do what is ultimately right and that's kind of how I feel about Sokova Records. Um, and I kind of feel like as well, it's important for the movie that Tony Stark was never the villain of the piece, unlike the comic book that it's based on. Because we do need Iron Man to be a hero going forward. And that's going to be even more important when we do get into things like Infinity War and Endgame, which obviously I'm not going to go into now because I am still talking about Civil War. And... Um, there's still so much more to talk about. I'm going to sideline because <laughs> I feel like I've had many, many rants in this episode, uh, which was kind of not intended, but okay. Um, I'm going to segue to the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. So every episode, I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with the star, the Christmas angel that is Keanu Reeves. And... Um, it's not, not technically linked to this movie because, as I've said before, for the MCU, links for Keanu are either quite tough or they're usually just clickbait. Um, but I did find that there's apparently evidence that Keanu was once a Union soldier during the American Civil War. And obviously that's not really, but there is a doppelganger who looks suspiciously like Keanu and there are some photos on the internet. And as we know, Keanu is immortal. So it could be him. You never know. Uh, that is literally the only link I could think of with Captain America Civil War. It's a bad link, but I'm using it anyway. Um, so the music for this movie, obviously Henry Jackman returns uh, for a kind of less synth 
more symphonic orchestral score for Civil War, and that's obviously compared to Winter Soldier. The Alt-J song, Left Hand Free, doesn't appear on the official soundtrack, but it's used as a theme for Peter Parker's introduction. So, Captain America Civil War, unfortunately, did not, like its prequels, premiere at the El Capitan Theatre, which is disappointing, because the others did. It actually premiered at the Dolby Theatre in Hollywood on the 12th of April, 2016. And again, uh, this is something that the MCU kind of have done quite frequently, because we, here in the UK, got Captain America Civil War before the US did. So we got it uh, wide on the 29th of April, and the US, it was released on the 6th of May. So you guys, in the US, you had to wait a week for this movie. Uh, Usually, see this is... You can probably tell the glee in my voice because usually we have to wait for movies and it's really frustrating. There have been instances for certain Pixar movies, I can think of things like Inside Out and Coco, that we had to wait like six months for. So whenever we get something first before the US, I am literally filled with joy. So yeah, anyway. (laughs) So I don't think I need to tell you that this movie was a huge success. Uh, It was obviously made for $250 million, so it went on to gross over the magic $1 billion, so it was $1.16 billion worldwide. It became the highest grossing movie of 2016, just ahead of episode 46 of this podcast, that is Rogue One. So Rogue One was second uh, and Civil War was first. The release of Civil War also meant that Marvel Studios became the first studio to gross more than $10 billion with a single franchise. This was obviously the final movie of the Captain America trilogy, um, and there were obviously no more movies planned for Captain America as a character after this. But sequel-wise, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is set to premiere on Disney Plus on the 19th of March 2021, and it follows Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan as the titular characters respectively. And this is post the events of Endgame, Daniel Brühl will also reprise his role as Helmut Zemo and Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. Right, let's move on to some social media thoughts because I always ask on social media if anyone has any thoughts about the movie that I'm featuring. I got loads for The First Avenger. Uh, Didn't get so many for Winter Soldier, actually, as I kind of expected to. Um, But then got a lovely little bunch for Civil War. So... It does seem like people have a lot to say about this movie um, and for a lot of good reasons, actually. Um, So we'll start on Twitter with at AFC Film Geek, who said, Captain America Civil War is amazing. If it wasn't for the Spider-Man rights issue, we may never have got the Black Panther we now know and love. The end fight scene is brilliantly choreographed. At Geek Salad Radio said, And here is where the MCU truly kicks it into top gear. Introduction of Spider-Man and Black Panther, the most effective villain in the MCU to that point, parentheses fight me, one of the best shot action sequences of the century in the airport fight, full of drama and humour, one of the best. At the Peter Briggs said, fantastic movie, though still not sold on Tony's zeal to enact superhuman registration, nor Vision's compliance. Love Zemo, although it messes with the comics. Spidey's intro superb, airport battle wonderful, so many great scenes. You feel conflicted at Cap and Tony fighting. Also, while the D23 holding cell joke for Bucky is pretty obvious, I've always wondered if in the scene where Tony brings Cap the pen to sign from the archives, his timely comment is a sly joke, given timely comics eventually became Marvel. At BLC Agnew said, Given that the Cap films have unavoidably been about him finding his place in whatever institution he's in, it's only natural that Civil War is also an Avengers movie, the same way First Avenger was a World War II film and Winter Soldier was a S.H.I.E.L.D. film, and it's one of the best. Evans does some of his best acting, the Russo brothers proved capable of the insane ensemble juggling that served them so well in Infinity War and Endgame, and the introduction of both T'Challa and Peter Parker provides the extra boost to close out the best superhero trilogy ever. At Chance Whitmore 5 said, It was a great movie and important step for the MCU. I do wish they would have done another Cap Solo or Cap Falcon. My biggest complaint is just that missed opportunity. At Best Film Ever Pod said, Civil War was one of two hero versus hero films to be released that summer, Batman versus Superman, and was by far the better one. This film is the realisation of eight years of storytelling where Cap and Tony have swapped places. 
Cap has gone from government poster boy, literally, and seen the dangers of these allegiances, while Tony has gone from selfish millionaire playboy to understanding the need for security controlled by a force bigger than themselves. These movements in character development are real and earned and build upon the entirety of the MCU canon. The airport fight is the blueprint to which all future mega fights are patterned and the film is written perfect, with our stars all getting their appropriate screen time, while also allowing Paul Rudd and Tom Holland their chances to shine in limited screen time. Finally, in the era of quippy Marvel leading men, we got Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, a grounded, pensive leader who has his own arc in just half a film that feels just as earned as the eight-year stories of Tony and Cap. And it's an Avengers film by another name, but it's bloody marvellous. At Breaking the Fourth said, There's a lot of overwhelmingly positive things to say about this film, and I'm sure everyone will cover the gamut, but what is most memorable about this film for me is Spider-Man. Spidey is my favourite superhero, and previous iterations of him fell flat, but seeing his debut really gave me confidence in the direction they were headed with him, particularly his banter during fights, which is so essential to nailing the character. At Orland Scorn FC said, This one felt very scattered, but Cap puts in some serious work to stand out among the debuts of Spider-Man and Black Panther. And it's deep too, with visual metaphors like Bucky trying to rip out Tony's heart. Best Stan Lee cameo. At Waffles underscore Mario said, A character-driven film. The action is fun and all, but the real hook is the emotional growth of the characters. The culmination of years of character development truly paid off. Can't leave without praising the Spider-Man introduction. Five out of five. At The Digressor said, Pseudo-Avengers sequel is right. I keep forgetting that it's a Captain America film and not an Avengers film. The airport scene is one of the best scenes in all of the MCU, in my opinion. At DW Lundberg said, The MCU film where placating the audience finally took precedence over characters making lasting, sensible choices. Tony and Cap become raging hypocrites. Zemo's plan depends on way too much coincidence. And the super fun airport battle lacks any actual consequence. At Cooking with Grief said, Spider-Man joining Team Stark made absolutely no narrative sense. In fact, it made the opposite of sense given everything Stark was saying, to the point that it almost derails the whole plot, and that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Still a really good film though, don't get me wrong. One of my MCU faves, Evans and Downey Jr. do a great job. At I Can Draw People said, That comic book series wasn't good, and the film took what it could and improved on it. I wish some aspects were more like the comic, but overall a great film. Marvel took lemons and turned it into lemonade. At on underscore Germany said, I liked the movie, though Zemo's plans were super convoluted. Also, Iron Man's position was a big issue as he had been the opposite for the previous movies. Then there is the fact that most of the problems pointed out about the Avengers was because of Tony, not the team. At Film Objective said, It sets up ethical issues but relies on plot to avoid them. Bucky's innocence has nothing to do with Tony's point about accountability, which also contradicts him recruiting Peter, a child, to fight his war. Looking drab is not as bad as lacking responsibility for its own themes. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Movies at the Mat, who said, The introduction of Black Panther, the great airport battle, the setup for Infinity War and Endgame, but at its core, it's about Steve and Bucky's relationship. If any other character was framed like Bucky, the lines would never be drawn. That's what makes this a Captain America movie more than an Avengers movie. They simply realised the shared world couldn't ignore that all these characters are part of each other's lives. And finally, on Facebook, we have Claudia, who said, This was such a heartbreaking film. I liked the nuanced nature of the film. The comics were so much neater, whereas the film has a more complex view into the conflict. We knew this conduct was coming, but it was still a devastating blow to us when the team erupts. In the comics, I was firmly team cap. As for me, without civil liberties, safety is useless. Why, yes, I'm a card-carrying member of the ACLU. Lol. I found myself floundering between Steve and Tony. We are omnipotent beings and we see where each character is coming from in the conflict. We know why signing the Accords is so important to Tony and there is wisdom here, but Steve has been what othering does to the groups being othered. Placing Wanda as the other is an ingenious move, especially knowing the unpredictability of her powers and the devastating effect her powers will have on the MCU later. She's just a kid, but an unbalanced kid. It's a great question that's placed before us, isn't it? What does one do with the superpowered when the person wielding the power is a bit unhinged? We don't hate any side, and this is precisely why this film is, at times, difficult to watch. We have grown attached to and fond of these characters, a brilliant move on the MCU to have us care so damn much throughout time that this film hits hard. And we know that, with Thanos in the background, the results of Civil War will have major repercussions as the MCU continues. 
looking back at Civil War after Infinity War and Endgame is that much more difficult because we see how a few obstinate ideas end up in the destruction of so many lives. I joked about being Team Nat and I won't budge from my statement. Given what we know about Nat and how much she has treasured the family she made, she acts like the compass between the characters. She's clearly hesitant at having to fight Clint, and while supporting Tony, she ultimately decides that having Steve locked up would be bad for the world as a whole. And was she wrong? No, my baby was right. I love the Steve-Natasha relationship we got in Winter Soldier and how that was reflected in Civil War and continues further in Infinity War and Endgame. Their chemistry is perfect and it carries on to Endgame where we see how that ends up. You mentioned about shipping Steve-Natasha after Winter Soldier. I was rooting for Bucky Natasha after this film. They are so adorable in the comics. I wish we could have gotten a bit more of that angle. The shift from what we had as popcorn movies to these serious, thought-provoking films was not one I would have ever figured we would have received from comic book films, but the shift was well done. So a bit of a mixed bag of comments, but I think all of those comments are actually quite valid. It is a fun movie. It's a fun popcorn movie that you can just sit and enjoy, but it's also a movie that has some really interesting themes and some really interesting character developments as well. And I'm actually really glad the comments weren't all positive in a sense that it's always really interesting to hear what people think. And I've always been the sort of podcast where I've always kind of welcomed all sorts of opinions, especially when it comes to these comments, because it's sometimes really important to have a movie have divisive comments, because I can't disagree with any of the more negative comments from anyone, because I kind of feel like everyone really has a valid point. I really do enjoy this movie, uh, genuinely. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't enjoy it more than Winter Soldier. I don't know if I enjoy it more than First Avenger. It's really tough. I don't know if I'd be able to tell you the order of my favourite Captain America movies other than Winter Soldier would be number one. Well, <laughs> which one is two and three is kind of a bit interchangeable. That might be controversial, but... I kind of do feel like this movie brings up some really interesting points. I don't think it goes the distance with the points it tries to bring up. But a massive thank you to everyone who provided comments. Uh, I'm always so grateful to everyone who comments on these episodes. Uh, You really do make these episodes so much more varied. Because at the end of the day, for these episodes, I'm really just kind of giving my opinion. But to have so many differences of opinion... It's, it's so much better for the episode, really, than to have everyone kind of agreeing with me and saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because I do genuinely feel like this movie is great. Uh, you know, it is a Captain America movie. It is an Avengers movie. It's a continuation of existing stories and character arcs. And like I said, it sets up for future movies and a TV series. Um, and it mostly succeeds, apart from a few minor issues. The problem with a movie so jam-packed full of characters and storylines is inevitably some get sidelined. And that's kind of also an issue with the podcast episode in that there's so much I simply haven't had time to cover. I would really love to talk a little bit about Wanda and Vision um, because they are two characters I really do adore. And obviously we're going to be getting WandaVision very soon as well. And I'm really excited for WandaVision. Um, But I haven't really had time to talk about Wanda or Vision um, haven't had time to talk about Hawkeye, haven't even really had time to talk about Cap in his own movie. Um, but I feel like this episode is kind of really stretched. Um, and I can tell just by looking at the time that it's, I'm already over time. Um, I feel like this movie raises a lot of questions. It doesn't really take much time to answer them. Um, it's a movie, so it's kind of not here to solve questions of ethics. But I do feel ultimately like, as a Captain America movie, it works in the context of his overall arc. This is the movie where he completes his arc. You know, he buries Peggy, he saves Bucky, he retires from being Captain America, even though we know that Infinity War, he's still working underground. Uh, The entire trilogy for Captain America feels so diverse, and yet such a consistent achievement in characterisation for Steve, for his journey. But ultimately, it's a love story. It's a love story between him and Bucky. And and whether you kind of deem that platonic or romantic love, it actually doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Steve's love for his friend dictates his choices in all of these movies. And so it does make it a three-part love story. But obviously his love for Peggy also shapes it too. And that's kind of why despite inconsistencies and many, many timeline-based questions... 
the end of Endgame always fills me with such joy uh, and a bit of sadness, but mainly joy. I feel like with these movies, it could have been very easy for Marvel to make Cap a uh, sort of a smug, self-serving icon of patriotic revulsion. Uh, you know, the kind of very much an America first mentality, very similar to Homelander in The Boys. But Chris Evans gives him just such a wholesome sincerity. He really has been great. He's a great Captain America. I'm really looking forward to see what Sam Wilson does with Captain America. But Chris Evans is just so good. And this trilogy is undoubtedly the best trilogy of movies in the MCU. I am putting it out there. Uh, You know, 2020 has been an absolute hole of a year. But, but, Christmas 2020 is the best Chris in the best MCU trilogy. That is my gift for you this Christmas. (laughs) So, Merry Christmas to you all. And thank you for listening. Uh, As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Captain America Civil War or your thoughts on the Captain America trilogy as a whole. Get in touch. Let me know. Uh, If you do like this episode, uh, give me a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It would be amazing if you could do that. Uh, Or tell your friends about this podcast, especially if they love Captain America. Um, If you liked this episode of Captain America, uh, there are some episodes that I'm going to recommend that you might also like. Um, Episode 56 on X-Men. I've obviously mentioned it this episode. 68 on Black Panther, which I do actually highly recommend just for the connection between this movie and Black Panther is so strong. Um, And like I say, there's a lot of interconnecting stuff. Uh, Black Panther was a very emotionally charged episode for me, but I'm still very proud of it. And it's still one of my most popular episodes of the entire year. So I'm truly grateful for the response to Black Panther. Um, and yeah, I would highly recommend you listen to Black Panther if you like these episodes specifically. And obviously, episode 71 was on Captain America, the first Avenger. Episode 72 was on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And this is, this movie ends the verbal diorama, Captain America trilogy. So it's been a genuine joy to go into the history and legacy of Captain America Um, obviously there is more Captain America out there there are lots of Avengers movies with Captain America in them Um, and so there is a chance that Captain America will return on this podcast but when who knows Uh, just depends when I schedule it I guess Um, obviously give me feedback on my recommendations so the next episode um, is a proper Christmas episode not Christmas Christmas um And it is a listener choice. Um, I put a poll up on Twitter and uh, the listeners chose gremlins. So you wanted gremlins, but you're not just going to be getting gremlins uh, for the next episode because I'm going to be having a very special guest co-host for the episode on gremlins. Um, It's my very own furry little mogwai. Um, Yes, she is returning. You loved her comedy chops in the episode on Scooby-Doo. My cat Jess is returning for the episode on gremlins she's very excited to be involved it's kind of a little bit like will she be kind of a cute mogwai will she be like a terror of a gremlin who knows just depends how she feels um but i thought it would be really fun to have jess in the episode i'm hoping that she will be comedy gold again we'll see we'll see it depends on how she's feeling um but gremlins will be the final episode of 2020 And obviously in that episode, I'll also be announcing the first episode of 2021, which is also the first movie of animation season 2021. And may I just say, it's one of this animation studio's most beloved movies for good reason. And I'm really excited for the animation season as a whole, but I'm super excited for the first movie because it's so great. Obviously, if you want to get in touch and you want to talk about Captain America... You can do so. Uh, I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And I'm also on Letterboxd as well. If you want to support the show financially, you are under no obligation to do so. I am more than happy to provide all of these episodes free uh, for anyone and everyone. However, there are a group of people who are supporting me on Patreon. I'm very grateful to them. I do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama. The tiers start from $2 a month. And you get perks such as access to the upcoming schedule, 
Um, you can also get early access episodes. And in January, patrons will be getting episodes even earlier than they do now. So currently, patrons get episodes about two days earlier. In From January onwards, they will be getting most episodes six days early. I'm going to gradually make that ten days early. So patrons are going to be getting episodes super early. Um, and that's just kind of one way that I can really kind of give value to people who support me financially because I'm really grateful to them. Um, I am running this thing called 20 in 2020 where I wanted to try and get 20 patrons in 2020. I only have three patrons left to go before the end of the year, so I do still have a chance to make it. If I don't make it, it's no big deal because it's going to run into 2021 anyway. But as soon as I get 20 patrons, uh, patrons are going to get even more goodies. So that's kind of a little goal that I've done for myself. Um, but I've got 17 wonderful patrons, so a massive thank you to them. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt and Trevor. And they are very much on Team Verbal Diorama. Literally the best team to be on. They did have to sign some accords, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm joking. Um, I also do have a merch store. It's teespring.com slash store slash Verbal Diorama. It's probably a bit too late, actually. If you did want Christmas presents, it's probably too late now. But, um, yeah, if you want to buy merch, buy merch. If you don't, then don't. It's fine. Fine by me. Uh, you can email me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com if you want to. Um, I'm always open to a bit of an email chat. I'm more than happy to do so. And obviously, I, I do have a website as well, which is verbaldiorama.com. And obviously, I'm still writing for film stories. Um, the site is going on a bit of a Christmas break, sort of over the Christmas period. So I'm not going to be writing anything new until kind of mid-January. Um, so the podcast recommendations will close down for a couple of weeks um, as will the iPlayer list that I do, uh, the magazine I've already done, the magazine, my final column for 2020 in the magazine, and that magazine has now been released. The week that this episode comes out for Civil War will be the final week that I'll actually be doing stuff for film stories in 2020, um, and really, I'll be completely honest, the work that I've done for film stories in 2020 has actually brought me a lot of additional joy, I actually get an opportunity with the podcast recommendation to actually get to know other podcasts. Um, and some of them have become really good friends. Um, and I'm really grateful to them for, you know, A, allowing me to <laughs> be so intrusive into their podcast and find out all about them. And B, you know, um, some of them have become really genuinely great friends of mine. People who I WhatsApp message. You know, I'm genuinely grateful uh, to everyone who's being part of that over the past year or so, really, because it's kind of been going a year. And um, and I've still got more to do. I've still got more podcasts on my list and I'll, I will get around to everyone eventually. So, um, so yeah, make sure you check out Film Stories. And, uh, and finally, and finally, because this episode is running quite long, but I want to leave you with the immortal words of my favourite, Peggy Carter. Compromise where you can. Where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say, no, you move. Bye. <laughs>